Welcome to today's edition of the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm your host, Lori Boyer. In addition to feature reports, I'll bring you a look at regional and national agricultural news. And the show starts with a look at California agricultural news. Today is the deadline for producers to apply for the transitioning to organic certification process. The USA Natural Resources Conservation Service in California is encouraging farmers and ranchers to participate in the organic transition initiative to support agricultural producers interested in transitioning to organic. California is the country's number one organic growing state, and NRCS is here to assist producers in transitioning to organic if it meets their operations goals, according to NRCS California State Conservationist Carl. The Organic Transition Initiative can also assist in gaining organic knowledge through education and mentoring. Right now, it's a great time to apply for conservation assistance as they have additional funding for popular programs from the Inflation Reduction Act. NRCS introduced a new organic management conservation practice in fiscal year 2023 as part of the initiative. It allows flexibility for producers to get the assistance and education they need, such as attending workshops or requesting help from experts or mentors. It also supports organic conservation activities and practices required for organic certification and may provide foregone income reimbursement for dips in production during a transition period. Higher payment rates and other options are available for underserved producers, including socially disadvantaged, beginning, veteran, and limited resource farmers and ranchers. In 2023, NRCS California invested $880,000 to help participating farmers transition their operations. For more information, either see your local NRCS office or log on to farmers.gov front slash organic. While ag tech might conjure images of robots and satellite-driven tractors plowing vast acreages, some innovations are focusing their ingenuity on the needs of smaller-scale farmers. That's in part thanks to the fourth annual Small Farm Innovation Challenge, whose winners were announced recently, as well as the Small Farm Tech Expo taking place March 1st in Madeira, which will showcase new tools for ag that don't require scaling up. The Innovation Challenge invites farmers, entrepreneurs, students, hackers, and anyone anywhere to propose a tech-based innovation that will uniquely help small-scale agriculture compete and thrive. This year's winners, who received cash prizes, represent the many nuanced needs on a farm and display particularly creative applications of emerging technologies. Winning the software category is Pasture RX. It takes mapping and business management technology and applies it to the growing field of prescribed grazing for wildfire prevention and land restoration. In the hardware category, this year's award goes to the trusty trucker of Paca Electric, which is an e-bike uniquely designed for the farm. Stripped of unnecessary frills, offering a lower price point and prioritizing durability, ruggedness, and cargo. For those on a smaller scale, this smaller scale model of transportation will offer a quick, easy, and affordable way to get around the farm. And in the do-it-yourself category, which recognizes simple do-it-yourself hacks, the awards goes to Drying Rack, designed by Great House Garden. The rack can be easily built, transported to the field, and loaded up with a half a ton of crops, such as onions and garlic for drying, saving time and energy. Honorable mentions went to the Gardener's Gold Wool Pellets that use animal fiber as a soil amendment, Farm Alley Innovating, and AI for Small Business Management, Smart Agricultural Robot Bulldog designed by students at Fresno State, and Off-Grid Irrigation, and a Mobile Solar Cart, both designed by farmers who lacked infrastructure on their farm sites. More innovations like these will be showcased at the upcoming Small Farm Tech Expo at Madera Community College on March 1st. The annual event, which includes workshops and networking opportunities, will immerse attendees in a day of tech uniquely tailored for small-scale farmers. 
For more information, log on to caff.org front slash 2024 expo. The Port of Oakland serves as a premier gateway for U.S. food products, including fruit, nuts, and vegetables exported to markets in Asia and throughout the world. That according to David DeWitt, media and public relations specialist for the port. During 2023, the port exported 114,990 20-foot containers of edible fruit, nuts, and similar items valued at more than $5 billion, he said. A 25-acre Cool Port Oakland cold storage and logistics facility, which opened in November of 2018, serves as a hub for temperature-controlled cargo transitioning through Northern California. DeWitt cited three current projects that have been funded to further enhance support. The Arterio Roadway Improvements Project intended to reduce congestion, improve safety, and increase access across critical arterial routes serving the port. The Terminal Modernization Project, designed to accommodate ultra-large container vessels capable of handling up to 24,000 shipping containers at all of its deepwater berths, and a Port of Oakland Outer Harbor Terminal Redevelopment Project intended to sustain the port's future growth potential and operational efficiencies, support rural farming communities, and maintain and expand the global competitiveness of the port. In a step towards building the first massive wind farms off California's coast, three assembly members have proposed a $1 billion bond act to help pay for the expansion of ports. The bill, if approved, would place a bond before voters aimed at helping ports build capacity to assemble, construct, and transport wind turbines and other large equipment. The port expansion projects would take place in Humboldt County as well as at the Long Beach port. Port expansion is considered critical to the viability of offshore wind projects, which are a key component of the state's ambitious goal to switch to 100% clean energy. The California Energy Commission projects that offshore wind farms will supply 25 gigawatts of electricity by the year 2045, empowering 25 million homes and providing about 13% of the power supply. The first step to building these giant floating platforms has already been taken. The federal government has leased 583 square miles of ocean waters about 20 miles off Humboldt Bay and the Central Coast Morrow Bay to five energy companies. The proposed wind farms would hold hundreds of giant turbines, each as tall as a skyscraper, which is about 900 feet high. The technology for floating wind farms has never been used in such deep waters far off the coast. An extensive network of offshore and onshore development would be necessary. Costly upgrades to ports will be critical, along with undersea transmission lines, new electrical distribution networks, and more infrastructure. Infrastructure. The Port of Long Beach is planning Pier Wind, a $4.7 billion, 400-acre offshore wind turbine assembly terminal, one of the largest and busiest ports in the nation. It is the only location in California close to being able to assemble and deploy turbines. In Humboldt County, some federal grants have been awarded to develop its small port for wind farms. The Federal Department of Transportation last month awarded the Humboldt Bay Harbor District $426.7 million to build a new marine terminal where turbines can be assembled and transported. Two separate climate bond bills also aim to pay for climate-related projects, such as shoring up vulnerable communities and wildfire prevention efforts. Each house has passed its own version of a bond. Negotiations over whether they will appear on a November ballot remain open. The debate over adding debt comes as California faces a projected $38 billion deficit, according to California Governor Gavin Newsom's estimate, which was released last month. 
As a consequence of a recall initiated by a cheese supplier, Rizzo Lopez Foods Incorporated Fresh Express is voluntarily recalling two salad kits with condiment packs that contain the recalled cheese, which may pose a potential health risk from listeria. The salad kits being recalled were available for purchase at retail grocery stores in several states, including California, in limited quantities. The kits being recalled are Fresh Express Salsa, Ensalada Salad Kit, and Marketside Southwest Chopped Salad Kit, with use by dates ranging from January 6th through February 20th of 2024 and include condiment packs with used by dates ranging from February 28th through April 4th. No other fresh express salads or salad kits or condiment packs containing cheese are included in this recall. The safety of fresh express lettuces and leafy greens are not a factor in this recall and no illnesses have been reported to date in connection with these products. As California almond bloom is in full swing, the beekeeping industry and law enforcement are on high alert. 2023 saw the single most beehive thefts in a single year statewide, with 2,286 hives stolen and a dollar value of $2.3 million. And 2024 has already seen almost 1,300 hives stolen. Butte County Sheriff Deputy Rowdy Freeman has been tracking bee thefts in the state since 2012. He says in that time, the California beekeeping industry has lost 10,000 hives to theft, valued at $10 million. Essentially, it's $1,000 per hive. That's how much the beekeeping industry um, and the agricultural industry and the beekeeper themselves loses when a hive is stolen, about $1,000 per hive. Freeman says the majority of hive thefts are related to almond pollination, with thieves stealing hives and then turning around and renting them out for pollination services. And depending on, you know, their contract, They might make the same amount or more than what the actual beekeeper who owned the hives was going to make off of them. They they have their own personal contract and they're stealing the bees and taking the stolen bees and putting them in their own equipment and then renting those out or uh, using the stolen equipment and kind of disguising them in one way or another by painting over them and putting their own stencils and stuff on them and then renting them uh, for pollination through a broker. Uh, we've seen a little bit of everything. It's crucial for growers to have a close working relationship with their beekeeper, Freeman said, and to just maintain an overall awareness about hive theft. Part of my job the last 10 years being involved with beekeeping is is awareness, you know, making the public aware of how big the problem is and, and getting the information out there to everyone involved so that people are on the lookout and aware of what's going on. And if there are thefts, you know, maybe they, and they're going through a broker they're a little more, you know, aware or, you know, they might look at the hives a little bit more and make sure that the lettering on the hives belongs to the beekeeper that they know or that maybe it doesn't match a theft that they've recently heard of. Freeman, a beekeeper himself, says he has not personally been a victim of hive theft, but says he's always on high alert and does what he can to prevent theft of his hives. I think the, the single most important thing that um, the grower and beekeeper uh, need to do is have that close personal working relationship. If you know your beekeeper and you work with them year after year and you're happy with what you're getting, then you know that you don't have to worry about your bees being, you know, stolen bees. And if you're not going to use a beekeeper, then use a broker that is actually a beekeeper themselves and not just a broker that's brokering you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of hives um, and, and isn't a beekeeper. They're not doing it 
they don't have the best interest of the industry at the forefront. You know, it's kind of a money driven thing at that point. And so they're taking whatever they can get. Um, and we've seen a lot of stolen hives involved in that business model. Uh, the second thing that uh, growers can do is be in communication with your beekeeper. Know when they're going to be there. Know what their vehicles look like. Know what the, you know, the door signs on the vehicles look like. If you see anything there that looks out of place, go investigate. Call the beekeeper. Ask them, hey, are you guys here right now? Um, if they see something suspicious, report it. A lot of people see something and they don't say anything. And then later on, they wish they did or we wish they did, you know. Um, so if, if something looks out of place or doesn't look right, report it. At least let law enforcement look into it. If it's nothing, it's nothing. But you never know. It might be some evidence that we're looking for. Another thing that beekeepers can do that they're starting to use is GPS devices. I mentioned the theft that, that we uh, recovered some stolen property on last week. Uh, one of the beekeepers was using AirTags, Apple AirTags and put those in his hive. He didn't even know that a theft had occurred, and he checked his devices and saw they were in a different spot. Other methods of prevention that beekeepers are using include smart water CSI technology, an invisible solution painted on hives that dries clear but will reveal an owner's information under UV light. Others are banding together to hire private nighttime security to drive around orchards. But one of the best deterrents, Freeman said, is simply to follow the laws for California beekeeping. Which requires that you have your hives and your equipment branded, that you have your company name, logo, and phone number stenciled on the side of the hive, just making like that visual deterrent because these are, they're really looking for unmarked hives that are easily accessible that they can just get in and out and they don't have to do a lot of work to, uh, to then disguise them as their own. But they are stealing anything and everything they can get their hands on. There's over 1,200 hives currently this year that have been stolen already. They, you know, in the past and in this current situation, they fill the hives, fill the brands with, with wood filler or something, paint over them and put their stencils on them, and then take the stolen bees out of the stolen boxes and put them in their own equipment sometimes, or they use the stolen equipment after they've manipulated it and disguised it as their own. And a lot of these stolen hives are currently in a pollination contract somewhere in California, in the Central Valley, I believe, with the suspect markings on them. So we're looking for those as well. The California State Beekeepers Association has published a guide to help growers, beekeepers, and even the general public prevent and look out for signs of hive theft. Their hive prevention guide can be viewed at californiastatebeekeepers.com. From IAG Life, this is Kristen Platts. A tax relief package passed by the House of Representatives is now heading to the Senate for consideration. Farm News reporter Michael Clements shares more on what's included for farmers and ranchers. The Tax Relief for American Families and Workers Act restores tax provisions left out of the 2017 tax reform efforts. American Farm Bureau Federation Government Affairs Director Dustin Shearer says the legislation includes provisions that benefit farmers and ranchers. The biggest of which is 
100% expensing or bonus depreciation, which allows you to immediately write off investments into your business when you purchase equipment or build infrastructure. It's probably one of the most pro-growth policies that we can put in the tax code. And farmers lost the ability to buy new equipment under 1031 like-kind exchanges in the 2017 tax reform. Shearer says it's important lawmakers make the fix now ahead of the 2025 tax cliff. These provisions were only extended for a couple of years from 2017 when they changed. Others like bonus depreciation started to phase down. And so getting this done now, generally you can make tax policy retroactive for a year before you get too deep in the following year's filing season. And that's what this bill does. That provision and a couple others, including deductibility and the R&D expensing, retroactive to the beginning of 2023 before we get deep into this particular filing season. Shearer encourages farmers and ranchers to reach out to their senators and urge them to pass this legislation. Those things affect farmers and ranchers' bottom lines, especially in times of high cost and thin margins. Tell them your story and let them know that it is vital that they get this done. Learn more at FB.org. Michael Clements, Washington. And Texas A&M's Ag and Food Policy Chief Joe Outlaw, who advises both parties on the House and Senate Ag Committees, predicts a new farm bill won't get done until the summer of 2025. Renowned in his field, Dr. Outlaw says farm bills take months to write, pass, and enact. The shortest he's seen is nine months, time eaten up this year by political dysfunction and the election calendar. On the Farm Policy Facts Groundwork podcast, he said, There's a little bit of rumblings that they want to get it done in 24. I don't expect it to be done in 24 unless something wild happens after the election. And even then, if House or Senate flips, it's going to be enough change that I don't think it will happen early in 25 either. He says that means later in the summer of 2025. Not a good prospect when American Farm Bureau Federation economists predict in a market intel report on USA data, the largest recorded drop in net farm income down more than 25% from last year. AFBF President Zippy Duvall is calling on Congress to bring down farming costs and pass a new farm bill. But Managing Director of Government Affairs Ryan Yates says... I think both for the House and the Senate, I think there's a great deal of distance between the chairman and woman and the ranking members that still need to be resolved. One example is a proposal by Senate Ag Chair Debbie Stabenow to shift more Title I funds to crop insurance and make producers choose between the two. We don't see uh, one or the other type of an approach. I think that would be a mistake to have to give up one uh, risk management program for another. I think that would be a problem. Democrats insist they won't give up SNAP or climate dollars for farm programs. Over 370 projects across U.S. states and territories are funded as part of a USDA program focused on plant, pest, and disease defense. USA Ag News reporter Rod Bain. Investments in plant, pest, and disease protection, as announced by Agriculture Undersecretary Jenny Moffitt this week when visiting state agriculture directors and commissioners in Washington, D.C. We're announcing $70 million for 374 projects in all 50 states. Plus the District of Columbia, Guam, the Northern Mariana Islands, and Puerto Rico. Among the gamut of projects and protection methods funded under what is called the Plant Protection Act Section 7721 program. This is about prevention of plant pests and diseases. This is about trapping. This is about investment in detector dog teams. This is about making sure that we're doing surveillance and we've got the infrastructure in place for pest detection. Most projects are managed under USDA's Plant Pest and Disease Management and Disaster Prevention Program, while the remainder are 
are supported under the National Clear Plant Network. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. Bayer rolled out more details of a new business plan during a webinar recently. The information followed a mid-January announcement that the company would be restructuring its business units. That initial announcement indicated Bayer was implementing broad changes in operating structure that could include significant staff reductions. Called Dynamic Shared Ownership, the restructure will be aimed at reducing bureaucracy within the management structure with an eye on accelerating decision-making by focusing on customer wants and needs. That according to Bear's CEO, Bill Anderson, the name of the new management strategy is one he coined himself. Anderson called it a reimagination of the way that a multinational company can operate. He said they're moving at unprecedented speed and scale with the goal of getting Bear back to delivering more productive, mission-focused work, world-leading innovation, and superior financial results. A November 2023 quarterly earnings call gave a heads up that Bear was exploring changes. Anderson said at the time that the company had assembled a team, including financial advisors from outside the company, to reevaluate restructuring options. An American Farm Bureau Federation president, Zippy Duvall, has sent a letter to the Environmental Protection Agency asking the agency to allow farmers to use existing dicamba stocks for the upcoming season. An Arizona court vacated the registration of the three dicamba products critically important for farmers in fighting resistant weeds. He says many farmers have already made planting decisions to use dicamba-tolerant crop systems and have planned to use dicamba products in the near future. These farmers invested in substantial sums in the dicamba-resistant seeds in reliance on EPA's prior approval of dicamba on these crops. He adds that without these products, not only are these substantial investments at risk, but farmers don't know how they'll protect their crops. AFBF is asking EPA to issue an existing stock order to ensure dicamba remains available to farmers throughout the growing season. He says they are committed to the safe use of all crop protection tools. JCS Marketing is your number one way to connect with the ag industry. Through print magazines, digital media, podcasts, and live and virtual events, JCS Marketing has the reach to inform, educate, and influence growers in the Western United States. Everywhere you go, you see West Coast Map Magazine on every one of my customers' tables. So that tells you everything. That's, that, it's there, so they're reading it. Our My Ag Life platform includes podcast interviews and digital articles for busy professionals on the go. Our live events, continuing education webinars, and virtual conferences help growers connect with leading researchers and industry leaders. Let JCS Marketing help you connect. That will wrap up today's show. You've been listening to the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm Lori Boyer. From all of us here at the JCS Marketing Team, thank you for listening. (laughs) 